about having a thirst for knowledge and a willingness to learn, right? It's, it's knowing that you're not necessarily going to come in the expert, but being confident in your ability to become the expert, to grow into that role, to, to be comfortable asking questions when you don't know the answer and knowing that that's okay, right? One of the things that I tell my students all the time is like asking a question isn't admitting you don't know enough. It's confessing that you want to know more. Welcome to Ladies of Golf with me, Abby Liebenthal of For the Ladies podcast. Welcome to Ladies of Golf. Today, I have Courtney Engel, a manager of mechanical engineering at Titleist, where she works in golf ball research and development. And I am so excited to just dive into this whole other world of golf that I'm not super familiar with. So you're going to enlighten us a lot today, Courtney. I love it. So happy to be here and cannot wait to nerd out with you, Abby. (laughs) Awesome. Well, before we dive into specifically what you do at Titleist, certainly want to know how you got here. Um, And has golf always been part of your life? Yeah. So I I started playing golf when I was six. Um, It became kind of a father-daughter bonding activity for my dad and I. Um, I don't know fully quite how it began, but it was one of those where he just drug me out to the golf course one day and then signed me up for lessons. And then I started really enjoying it. And then that became my summer. And then that became my spring sport and just kind of spiraled from there. Um, It's always been kind of the the fun social sport that got to meet a lot of really cool ladies, um, kind of from all different regions, different geographics, different cultures. Um, Can't get enough of it. Absolutely love, love the sport and play it as often as I can. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm guessing you didn't imagine when you were growing up and in school that you would be working for a golf ball company. Not even a little bit. There was not even on my radar. Um, Had no idea kind of how much science engineering research went into the golf ball world as I was starting my educational academic pursuits. um, Ended up I've always loved kind of building and math and science and physics, um, which led me down a course of pursuing mechanical engineering for my for my bachelor's degree. Um, one thing kind of led to another, and I stumbled upon my role at Titleist very serendipitously. Um, so I'm a Colorado native and was living in Colorado at the time, kind of February of 2020. Um Every year, there's what we call the Colorado Golf Expo, which brings together a lot of different vendors, courses, um, kind of local representatives, club manufacturers, ball manufacturers into one giant hub. And I happened to be in the market for a new driver at the time. So I went to the expo and absolutely geeked out with the club guys and was just like, wow, there's so much engineering and science that goes into this aspect of of club design in golf in general, um, went home and wanted to see if anybody might be hiring a mechanical aerodynamic engineer, um, in the industry. And Titleist happened to be looking for somebody. And this was right at the start of the pandemic. So I was, went through the interview process and essentially had my first and second rounds. And then was like, Oh, global pandemic, we're on a hiring freeze. I feel so bad for for the HR rep that I was dealing with, the talent acquisition specialist. It was like every week, it was like, any news? Any news? 
any news? Like this job is made. Oh, sure. Keep considering me. I'm still very interested. So <laughs> it ultimately worked out. No complaints. But it was it was a lot of serendipity that kind of led me into this role. And I could not be happier. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, of course, want to talk about some of the roles you had prior to Titleist because they're super interesting and unique, um, especially for the people that we've had on the podcast. Um, and you studied um, mechanical engineering at Yale. So you said that like this was always kind of an interest of yours. You liked math and putting things together. So did you go to Yale and you were like, this is my focus? Absolutely. There was, it okay. for the longest time, actually, I wanted to be an architecture major from about fourth grade until mm. junior year of high school. But then junior year of high school, I took physics and realized that there was a discipline in which I could have that cool creative design element that I liked so much in architecture alongside the kind of heavy lifting, how the world works, the mechanical side of, of the world around us. And it was like, cool, engineering. Um, specifically mechanical, like I love the idea of like how cars work, gears coming together, kind of the different aerodynamic elements, fluid dynamics, heat transfer, all of the pieces of that really kind of spoke to me. It was very, I'm a very visual learner and it's kind of easier for me to connect the math and the science with a picture and mechanical engineering just, just absolutely hit that niche for me. Got well, it. No, I that makes total college, sense. I was a declared mechanical engineering major. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And obviously before Titleist, one of the other roles is um, an accident reconstruction engineer. Yeah, so that's that's a discipline that has a lot of different facets to it. The The part of the field that I was involved in was specifically focused on automobile accidents. Um, I like to call it kind of CSI for car crashes. Um, and that really is is looking at kind of an, an investigative approach to what happened, right? Like, like we we have the evidence after the fact. We have the skid marks. We have the damage on on the vehicles on the roadway. Um, we've got witness statements. We sometimes have video, but it's kind of looking at all of the evidence that we have after the fact and using the math and the physics and the material science to re-piece together the sequence of events that led to whatever the accident happened to be. You know, was it was it a was it a traffic light that was mal- malfunctioning? Was it somebody who was following too closely and didn't have enough time to break? Was it somebody who cut somebody off in traffic? Um and really diving into everything from kind of your, your commercial vehicles, right? Your, your semi-trucks, your 18-wheelers, and how they interact with everything from pedestrians to, to compact cars to motorcycles and kind of any combination of, of the four of those. Um, we did some, some work with bicycle accidents. Um, just very, very varied wow. is what it was. <laughs> I learned a lot yeah. more about trucking air brake systems than I ever thought I would in my entire life. That's so, it's so interesting too, because we all watch like CSI and all of the shows and we're like, well, how, how did that come together? Like, how do they magically know this? Um, and so it's putting all those pieces together. It's all physics and it's all math. (laughs) Well, a friend also told me that, um, after a few of those roles that you ended up teaching math. I did. I did. I taught high school math. Well, I've been, I started tutoring when I was about 18, kind of my freshman year of college. Um, I've always liked teaching. I've always liked helping people through 
you know, be it math problems, physics problems, English problems to some extent, um, and just kind of being a support system for students as in their learning process. Um, and an opportunity opened up at the high school that I went to, actually. Um, they were looking for a math teacher. And like I said, I've always liked teaching. I've never really had the opportunity to teach in a classroom before. Um, so I jumped on that opportunity and loved it. Love every aspect of teaching. Like everything that I got from a tutoring standpoint, I was now able to do with a classroom of students. Um, I was lucky enough to have students who were maybe a little bit less comfortable in their mathematical skills and confidence and give them an environment um, with the support of the administration to really say like, okay, let's take a step back and let's make this a space that works for you. Let's, let's show you the beauty in math. Like it is not this formulaic discipline that is kind of you must follow like the Eins, Feins, Reis steps. It's not as Germanic as you think it is. It's okay to have some creativity when you're approaching a mathematical mm. problem. Like just because I see a problem one way does not mean that that's how you see the problem. And there are many different paths that you can get. So long as you're following kind of a prescribed set of rules, right? I like, we don't want to go into math Narnia, right? Where the rules are made up and the right. truths don't matter. Um, but giving them some freedom to explore and recognizing that it is a space that they can that they can grow to be comfortable in. Like that meant so much to me from like a soul satisfying perspective. <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's great. And I feel like in addition mm -hmm. to obviously having the skills and fundamentals of math, also then bringing in teaching probably brought you other skills for managing people and just like other skills that you were going to need in different types of careers. Definitely. There's um there's something about being in front of a class of 16-year-olds that is that prepares you for the working <laughs> world in a way that nothing else can. <laughs> kind of like, okay, linear algebra. How does that feel? Is it it prepares you for the for the working environment, for the corporate world to some extent. <laughs> Um, I know I probably would just like would have given you some blank stares. So I'm very grateful for, <laughs> for your time in that. <laughs> it was great. It really like it let me kind of, um, you can probably tell I love math. I, I'm very passionate about it. Um, and, and getting to share that passion and bring a little bit more comfort to, to a group of students who hadn't maybe had that experience before that relationship with math before was just absolutely incredible. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. I still tutor in my free That's time. Great. So it's a something that I definitely haven't let go of. That's great. I love that. And it, it keeps you sharp with like other skills and other things you're doing. I'm weirdly good at trigonometry having been out of high school for 15 years now. <laughs> That's oh my gosh. pretty okay in my brain. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you shared a little bit of like what... Um, interested you about golf and Titleist and like club and equipments and how you can mesh your two passions a bit. Um, but how would you describe the role that you then came into as manager of mechanical engineering? Totally. Um, so it's, it's evolved over the last three years that I've been with the company. Um, I was originally brought on predominantly in an aerodynamic and intellectual property role. Um, that's grown to include the mechanical engineering piece as well. Um, so I, I like to say that I wear three hats primarily in the company. Um, so the mechanical engineering piece, um, 
my team and I essentially are responsible for the design, growth, maintenance, um, kind of improvements of the test equipment that's custom built to what the golf industry needs, right? It's a very unique industry. Um, it's very hard to just, you know, can't go to Costco and buy a club robot off the shelf. Um, so that's something that we design and build in-house and are constantly improving, constantly maintaining. Um, that also involves a lot of a lot of vetting and diagnostic. You know, if one of the machines is is acting up and not giving us results that we're expecting, there's a little bit too much variability. Um, just doing a deep dive into the the data that we're getting back, um, and also looking at kind of okay, what can we do to improve some of the the consistency? Any of the is there any variable that we're not taking into account here? And it's it's constantly trying to improve upon and, and gain just a, a better set of equipment to generate better data because every decision we make is based upon data. We're not making any decisions based upon gut decisions or gut reactions. Sure. Um, so making sure that we trust the equipment that's giving us the data. Um, so there's the kind of that piece of it. Um, the intellectual property piece, I work um, pretty hand in hand with our legal department on anything related to aerodynamic intellectual property. So that's everything from patent applications to issuing patents, um, both from, from the Kushnet company, but also from competitors, just making sure that we're keeping on top of where the industry is going, what people are legally protecting, making sure that we are protecting our freedom to operate, um, and making sure that you know, any anything that we're releasing to the public or that is being released to the public is kosher in a legal sense and that we're all kind of playing in our correct sandboxes. Um, so that's really interesting. That's something that I never thought that I would experience in any realm before. Like I did yeah. not go to law school, but I am the subject matter expert. So I get to help the legal department out in that aspect, which is fascinating. Um, and then yeah. we have kind of the aerodynamic engineering piece, which is essentially answering the question like why do golf balls have dimples and what are we doing to create new dimple patterns do they doing the analysis with that that's also supporting um the ball plants manufacturing side of things if they're changing the paint system um or any of the different processes making sure that that change is upholding the consistent aerodynamic performance for whatever product that that change is going to be implemented on so that's that's a lot of kind of design work alongside some pretty heavy data analysis as well. So that's kind of my three hats. Yeah. They all overlap in one way or another. <laughs> okay. Keeps the days interesting. No, that's great. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I always found it, it really interesting, like the way you said it of you can't just go to a Costco and buy the equipment to make a golf ball, I think is like the most interesting part to me is like somebody has to build and create the equipment that is in the factories that makes millions of golf balls every single Absolutely. year. Yeah. And, it, and I'm lucky the team kind of supports that. And we, we are, we are the boots on the ground for a lot of those operations. So it's a, again, never mm. a dull moment. I'm sure. And I'm curious, how did you feel like your previous roles or just any sort of experience that you had prior to Titleist help you prepare for the role you're in now? And was there any sort of learning curve to move your focus to developing golf balls? Oh, there was absolutely a learning curve. There, <laughs> again, this is such a kind of one-off industry. Um, the world of yeah. global aerodynamics is not widely studied in any realm other than the golf ball industry and like maybe a couple academic institutions at a graduate type level. 
Um, so there were definitely specifics that were associated with the the kind of nicheness of this of this position that took took some time to to get up to speed on some of the nomenclature was like I don't know what you're talking about right now like sure for about the first six months I had I had a, my notebook of kind of like ran jotting down all of the facts and whatnot and the entire back half of the notebook was me just writing like what does this term mean what is this acronym who who is this person why why are they important. Um, and I had a lot of support from my direct supervisor, which was awesome, um, who had done this role before and was very educated in that. Um, but I guess in terms of like the, the training and the background, um, I kind of alluded to mechanical engineering in general is very broad. Um, you learn a little bit of a lot of different types of disciplines. And I think that one of the advantages there is it teaches you how to think strategically and how to think analytically. And that's something that in any kind of an engineering role will always benefit you, regardless of if it's something you were specifically trained for, or if it's just something, again, like a very unique industry that was not at all part of the curriculum. You you go through this, this academic process and you kind of learn how to think like an engineer. Um, I was lucky in that I had a pretty great exposure to the world of fluid dynamics, both in terms of a class and then a follow-up semester-long lab that was very hands-on. Yale had a very small wind tunnel that we were able to conduct experiments in. Um, and I really developed a, a true passion for fluid dynamics. Um, and that, I think, kind of guided my path more than anything else and gave me more tools than I necessarily would have had I been at a different institution or maybe not had those opportunities. But there was absolutely nothing specific to golf ball aerodynamics in any of my education. <laughs> right. Right. And I feel like that is so unique to most careers. Like if I were to just hop into another marketing role at another company, a lot of the marketing skills are like very transferable and very straightforward. Like if I'm going to make an email for one company, I'm probably going to make an email in a very similar way at another one. Um, and that's why I just, I find the whole science field so interesting because it's, you guys are given like these basic set of tools, but you're still allowed to be creative. Totally. Totally. And that's one of the great things about engineering is because you, you do get kind of that, that rigid, the math, the physics, whatever, but then you've got these, these problem solving statements, right? That's like, we would love mm. if you could do this for us, but can you build it? Can you make it come, come into actuality? Or is this just kind of a pie in the sky? Like I wish statement, like how do you turn that? I wish statement into something tangible and manufacturable. That's the cool part. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Is your role solely focused on golf balls or do you ever touch other parts of the equipment? I really just touch golf balls. Um, we have an entire department in California that's focused on club R&D that has just amazing people on their end. Um, I trust them fully to do their job. They don't want me anywhere near that. <laughs> um, no, but I'm, I'm really just on the golf ball side. Yeah, that's great. And Titleist has multiple golf ball models. We, you know, we know that there's Pro V1 X, Pro V1, AVX, all of them. Um, do you also work on all the models then as well? Yeah, totally. So anything that comes out of the Acushnet company that has either the Titleist script, Pinnacle, Union Green, um, any of our brand lines mm. get the same aerodynamic treatment as as kind of our premier products. Um 
anything that comes out with a new dimple design, like that comes from my team. That's fully vetted. That's fully tested. It's tailored and customized to the performance that we're looking for for that particular model. Um, we work hand in hand with with materials research and product development to make sure that the aerodynamic package is matching the construction, the materials, and delivering ultimately the performance that we're targeting for each individual product line, be that you know True Feel or Pro V1X Left Dash. So it's a sure. we, we touch all the golf balls in aerodynamics. <laughs> Gooder makes sunglasses that start at $25 and they don't slip, don't bounce, and are 100% polarized. I just wore mine around Augusta National all day during the Augusta National Women's Amateur, and when the temperatures picked up in the afternoon, they didn't accumulate any sweat or cause me issues on the course. I've been getting so many compliments on the pair that I packed, which are the, I have these on vinyl too. They're a circular shape and come in hunter green. As you've heard us talk about, Gooder sunglasses come in so many different shapes and sizes. And if you find the style that's perfect for you, you can simply pick them up in a few colors. So if you want to support the show and gear up for the spring, shop at gooder.com forward slash FTL and use promo code FTL for free shipping. Now back to our conversation. Yeah, yeah. And you certainly shared like what your three roles kind of are within your overarching role to dumb it down even a little bit more almost what does a day in the life look like for you so are you sitting at a computer or are you at the machines like kind of paint that picture for us it's probably kind of half and half um i'll spend some time kind of at the computer doing some design work doing some analysis um be that from kind of the data standpoint or looking more specifically at at golf ball aerodynamic performance um but also it's it's being at our tooling facility it's being in the ball plants it's kind of being kind of boots on the ground with my team and supporting them in in their needs and kind of their projects um so it's it's both a project management and a people management uh as well as the the kind of data analysis and design work side. I would say that there's not really one day that looks the same as the other, but maybe if we take an average of a whole week, <laughs> that's kind of roughly what yeah. we break down into. Yeah, no, that's great. And do you ever work with just golfers directly? A little bit, somewhat. Um, we have an entire team that's more focused on the, the player research standpoint and their kind of the interface between golf ball R&D um, and the golfers themselves. That's everything from kind of sure. the team Titleist members or kind of the, the dedicated golfer out in the field that's kind of a weekend golfer um, all the way up through. We have a number of different people who work directly with the tour players and are constantly getting their feedback. That all trickles down back to us and kind of gets um, condensed into okay, what is the next product brief? Like where, where are golfers wanting this particular product to go in the future? Um, I am lucky to be able to have some contact with, with players that are coming through either on tours of R&D or getting to do kind of an aerodynamic demonstration out at one of our testing facilities. Um, but for the most part, our player research team is really, they're the ones doing the legwork, right? They're the ones that are that are gathering the, the heavy data and, and, like I said, kind of condensing all of that into 
where where does the next product go? Right? We just released 2023 Pro V1, Pro V1X. We're already looking towards the future and trying to develop. Okay, like what's the direction for 2025? Even looking further than that, what's the direction for 2027? And we couldn't do that without good data from, from our player research teams. So that's a... I have enough yeah. data to analyze. I don't need to analyze player feedback in addition to that. <laughs> no, no. There, I'm sure there's some information overload. <laughs> I'll stick with the heavy numbers. I like the things I can put into an Excel table. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, well, you worked. You mentioned that you worked on um, aerodynamic development and like dimple patterns. And I, we're not going to give a full on science lesson, but I always do love to see. I know, I know. <laughs> I do love to always see the, um, like, why do dimples on a golf ball matter and seeing the golf ball that doesn't have any and how it just, like, flops over to the Uh side. (laughs) Um, Do you, for somebody who hasn't seen that, can you just describe to us, like, why are there dimples on a golf ball? Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the analogies that I like to use is, um, like, if you think about when you've been in a swimming pool and you're trying to, like, run as fast as you can through that water, you're encountering a lot of resistance, right? And how how does that compare to when you're kind of streamlined and you've got kind of the Michael Phelps approach to moving through the water in a more purposeful kind of directed way? That's kind of the same thing that's happening when you don't have dimples on a golf ball, when you do have dimples on a golf ball. So when you don't have the dimples, you're encountering that golf ball is encountering a lot of drag. And that drag force is really trying to slow that golf ball down. Um, whereas when you put the dimples on the golf ball, that's creating kind of a, an optimized level of turbulence, if you will, that helps to reduce the amount of drag and ultimately create a more aerodynamically friendly and stable flight as compared to when we have a smooth golf ball. So it's a, it's really the, the nice balance between having too much turbulence, right? Which is kind of that high drag situation where it's really hard to move through the, the liquid that you're trying to move through, the fluid you're trying to move through versus the optimized level of turbulence that's actually helping you glide through the water, glide through that fluid a little bit easier. So without dimples, we end up with a significant reduction in flight on a golf ball because that drag force just gets super high and tries to slow that ball down as rapidly as possible. So interesting. So we will continue. You made to it very easy to understand. Ball. Oh, good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a it's it's a very it's a very complex kind of phenomenon that. I find just fascinating. I had a professor first time around in grad school who described fluid dynamics as a discipline in which the more we learn, the less we know, which I think is captivating and one of the things that absolutely draws me towards it. But it's also really cool to see the physical implications of, I mean, we we have golf balls that have the exact same construction as Pro V1 that just don't have dimples on it. And you can see a significant aerodynamic difference, a significant flight difference, just because of that really high drag situation that's being created and versus when yeah. you've got that, that optimized aerodynamic trajectory with the dimples. It's captivating. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, because I don't know, I think about all of the various I often compare it to like then the first when you were talking about it, the first thing that came to mind for me was like an airplane. And I'm like, well, an airplane is like super smooth, but it has wings and it has the engine. Like there's so many other factors that come into play. Whereas a golf ball, it really is 
you know, it's the golf ball itself. And then of course the golfer and how they hit the ball. Um, so I just, it's so interesting how like you try to optimize something to give you the flight that you want to create, but there are so many other variables outside the control of you that you're trying to take into account. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, Kind of even more, even more interesting in the in the fact that the golf ball is the only piece of equipment that you use on every single shot, right? So you're you're trying to optimize that performance not only off the tee, but also thinking about you know greenside performance and what does your approach shot look like? Is it a mid iron? Is it is it a long iron? And taking aerodynamics along with the constructional, along with the materials pieces, and bringing them all together so that you've got desirable performance throughout the bag. It's it's a wild world. Like I said, I've only been here just about three years and I, I still feel like I'm peeking behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. Like the longer I'm here, the more it's just like, wow, there is so much that goes into not only the design and kind of the the process of making one perfect sample to creating millions over the course of a, a manufacturing cycle, um, all of the checks and balances and precision manufacturing, it is it is a wild world. And it is just astounding how much we put into this product. It's captivating. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say that it's pretty obvious that you have a newfound appreciation for how the equipment comes together. But do you have a newfound appreciation for like playing the game or like how things come together? Oh, totally. There's a trying to look at one of the things that this was kind of my goal last season, but unfortunately I broke my wrist at the start of last season. So best laid plans, right? Um, But getting an opportunity, and I've started this this season of of playing our full product line um, and really appreciating just how we can tailor different performance attributes by changing cover composition, dimple pattern, um, core size, how many layers are on the golf ball, and then looking at the full suite of, of what we are able to offer a variety of different types of players and, and tailoring the experience to what the golfer wants in their flight. You know, it's the question of like, okay, do you want something that, that flies a little bit higher? Okay, awesome. Like, here are your options. Like, let's talk about, you know, fitting fitting uh, green to tee. Like, how do you like your ball to, to perform when you're greenside, when you're approaching the green? And, and being able to offer different options, all while conforming to the USGA's rules and all while, you know, having, having that high level of performance and control, we're talking about, you know, a 1.68 diameter sphere here, right? Like this is right. this is not a lot of space that we can play with. And it's it's really impressive just how much the the golf industry is able to accomplish with that small amount of volume and with you know the the materials that are available while keeping the ball a conforming ball, keeping it legal. It's it's just incredible. <laughs> I love it. I love your passion for it. Um with that said, do you feel like somebody would need to be a golfer to work in this role? I feel like I've heard you talk about how engineering is very transferable, but then I also hear you and you're so passionate about golf. So what are your thoughts on that? Definitely. I mean, I think if you come in to the golf industry with a willingness to learn about the industry, that's really what what goes the farthest, right? I mean, the the sport itself is 
it's a little cultish, right? Like we have the golf industry is very like, oh, I am a golfer. Like this is the thing. Um, but as long as you have a willingness to learn and you're and you're willing to dive in and not even necessarily pick up the sport, but just appreciate the different facets of the sport. I mean, we have a number of people in golf ball R&D who do not identify as golfers and that's totally okay. They're still incredibly intelligent and contribute to the industry because they understand the industry and they understand what a golfer wants. Um, so it's really just that openness to, to learning and really a, a a willingness to dive in and go full bore with it, right? Like it's, um, again, definitely a niche industry and nobody comes out of college necessarily with all of the knowledge that you need to make and build a, a golf ball to a high quality. Um, but as long as you're willing to learn and ask questions and become that industry expert, that's 100% all, all you really need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you seem to also be a, like a lifelong learner yourself. Um, how do you stay up to date on what's going on the, in the field, whether that's mechanical engineering or beyond? Totally. So part of the, the role that I serve kind of with legal, um, it definitely helps me keep appraised of what's going on in the industry at large. Sure. Um, just by reading kind of the, the different patents that are releasing every week and keeping a pulse on um, or a thumb on the pulse of where the industry is. Um, I'm also currently in grad school. I'm getting my master's engineer in mechanical engineering with a focus on fluid dynamics, because this is something that I clearly love. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that definitely helps as well. Um, the, the program that I'm in is very cognizant of making sure that its students are up to date on the latest technologies and kind of where the industry has been in terms of like an academic world in fluid dynamics. Um, and where some of the advancements that are coming in the future are maybe pointing. Um, there's also a conference that I attend every year that most people would probably not love going to, but it is the American Physics Society Division of Fluid Dynamics annual meeting, um, which really is just, it's a three-day long conference where the, the kind of bulk of academia who's doing research either in the computational fluid dynamics field or the experimental fluid dynamics field comes together and presents their work to an audience of their peers. And that's a really awesome place to kind of bridge the gap between industry and academia to say, okay, like there, this technique is maybe not necessarily specific to golf ball, but could be really advantageous in two to three years if we can collaborate with a university and, you know, kind of bring this to life in a very industry specific way. Um, so that's always a fun time. <laughs> hey, yeah, I mean, as long as just, it keeps yeah. you up to date and you're happy about it. And like, exactly. I think I, what, what I love so much about hearing your story is just like, you are truly just so passionate about what you do and want to do it to your best ability and make the people around you excited about that. And I think that's wonderful. Definitely. It's a, it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, but we're here for it. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so funny. Um, well, I'm not sure how much you can really share, but I was just wondering if there are certain like projects that you're excited about that you're working on. Definitely. Um, there's a couple kind of top secret under wraps that I can't necessarily talk about. Um, honestly, I, th I think that just the, the challenge of developing the next generation of 
of dimple patterns for our full product line, right? Like we're, we're not changing the patterns on a, on a regular basis, unless we've got something that truly is game changing, right? And it's, it's dimple design with aerodynamic design in a golf ball perspective. It's, you're really balancing the science and the art of it, right? You're, it's the question of, okay, like this 380 count dimple pattern flew really well. This 380 count dimple pattern didn't necessarily fly as well. What's the difference between the two of those? Like, let's dive into this a little bit more. Let's look at this vast collection of data that we have. You know, we have data on dimple patterns going back to the early 2000s and we have all of this data. What can we do with it? What can we start to mine from this data? The, the technology is there. Let's start to suss out some of the themes. Let's help us. Let's use the data that we have at our disposal to start governing our design decisions in a more informed way. Um, and that to me is super interesting because again, like the technology hadn't, hasn't already always been there and the resources haven't always been there to, to look at the full scope of, okay, we know these things about these types of patterns. Let's leverage that to our advantage and let's make them even better. Let's take what we know and just improve upon it. And it's, it's that kind of puzzle, that, that analytic piece, that, that data mining aspect that I think is really going to be industry changing for us. Um, and just a space that we haven't necessarily explored on a deep level. Um, so kind of using that that backlog of data to to design for the next generation of products in an even more informed way that I think is just going to be so awesome. And I, I think we're going to find things that we don't expect. I think we're going to see trends emerging that that maybe we weren't expecting, but that's research, right? That's the exciting piece of of exploring the the known, but also that side of the unknown, right? A discipline in which the more we learn, the less we know. Um, yeah. It's diving into those kinds of projects that I, I think is, uh, gets me excited, you know, it gets me out of bed every day. <laughs> That's a good thing. I think so. <laughs> no complaints so far. That's great. And do you feel like we hear so many of, and they're much more like buzzier, flashier developments. Do you guys, are you using technology like AI and all of these other like GPT service, like sciences that we hear about, but are much more headline worthy, I guess, is what we hear about a lot. So we, we do have, we do have a group within R&D that is looking into and starting to work with machine learning, um, yeah. which is way outside my purview. It is. There yeah. is a reason yeah. I just not go to school for computer science. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, you know, it's, that's part of keeping up with the industry and not just the golf industry, but the technology industry at large. Um, mm. And starting to use, use the technologies that are developing and emerging in a way that is specific to the industry and in kind of ways that haven't necessarily been accessible or explorable before. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's all about kind of growth in all areas, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and using what makes the most sense. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I have to know, like, so you kind of mentioned it. So like, have you played, you played golf this year? Are we going to get out this year? <laughs> we, you know, I've played golf this year. I've played exactly Good. 27 holes so far. <laughs> Great. 
my my school did my school classes just ended um, in early May, and I kind of make a bargain with myself that I won't focus on golf until school is done because that is how I have to operate in some extent. Um, but I've actually I've had an opportunity to travel most of most of the month of May, so it's been a little bit hit and miss getting out. But I have a I have a stated goal of hitting at least thirty six holes a week. Um, between weekends, some golf outings, uh, doing a little bit of research on the course, as we like to call a little, uh, product development, uh, with myself as a guinea pig. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I plan on making up for last season where I, I lost so much time. So tragic. <laughs> I know. I'm excited. I'm really excited to, to actually get out and play a lot more this year. Good. And have you ever and played I have, Yale? I have. I have. We've had the opportunity it's awesome. to. It's such a beautiful course. Um, definitely kind of a, a little well kept secret of New Haven. Um, but yeah, our, our intramural teams, uh, every, um, every semester had a chance to go out and play and compete against one, one another. And that was just an awesome experience. A nice break from school, kind of this little reprieve in the midst of, you know, the New Haven itself. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Just an incredibly designed course. Um, I love it. Um, well, two last questions for you. One, what is your favorite pizza place in New Haven? Ooh, I'm going to give a controversial opinion here. Um, I'm a big fan of bar pizza. Mostly yeah. because they have, yes, they have um, mashed potato pizza, which stay with me. Sounds a little bit suspect, but is uh-huh. absolutely phenomenal. It's so good. So if you're ever in New Haven, bar pizza, mashed potato pizza, you can get it with or without the bacon. I prefer without personally, but it's so good. It's a white pizza where they use, you know, kind of an Alfredo sauce with mashed potatoes instead of red sauce. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Love it. Um, <laughs> and of course, and I've been to New Haven so many times. I used to like do that drive back and forth and we yes. would stop all the time. Um, so I think I've hit up all, like all of them at this point and bar, bar is good. I'm not really picky. So yeah. I'm very picky. I, yeah. again, I growing up in Colorado, I can't say this too loud on being an East coaster. Now I like a deep dish pizza. So mm-hmm. the thin crust things were a little bit suspect for me. I've adjusted, I've adapted, but <laughs> mashed potato pizza wins every time. I don't care what the crust is. <laughs> That's amazing. You've adapted. That's great. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, what advice do you have for people who aspire to work in a role such as yours someday? For sure. Um, I think I alluded to this earlier, but it's it's really just about having a thirst for knowledge and a willingness to learn, right? It's mm-hmm. it's knowing that you're not necessarily going to come in the expert, but being confident in your ability to become the expert, to grow into that role, to to be comfortable asking questions when you don't know the answer and knowing that that's okay, right? One of the things that I tell my students all the time is like asking a question isn't admitting you don't know enough. It's confessing that you want to know more and having that mindset going into a role that maybe you're not necessarily familiar with from a background standpoint, but that you're super passionate about and willing to dive into, that's going to make you successful regardless of if it's in the golf industry or or another role. So that's... If I could tell younger Courtney that, she would have benefited from that about 15 years ago. 
I hear that. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy your Women's Golf Day celebration. Very excited. And uh, we'll talk to you super soon. Sounds great. This has been a pleasure. Thank you.